We are in Numbers chapter 13. So how many of you were here on Sunday? You guys enjoy that? The night of worship? Yeah, I always, always, always look forward to those nights of worship to where, uh, again, we can just come together and uh, just spend an hour and a half of just singing unto the Lord, praising Him. Uh, He truly is worthy of our praises. He inhabits the praises of His people. Um, It's in those times when we're we're praising Him that we're truly in the right place before Him. And... uh, and so it's just a, a joy to come together and all lift our hearts and our voices to the Lord. Um, you know, it's just, it's beautiful to, to do that. And I enjoy it thoroughly. Um, what we're going to um, be going over this evening is, um, is something that I, you know, as, as I went through, um, it, it was just so applicable to what we live day in and day out as far as a Christian is concerned and dealing with the majority and the minority and how it is that we see things um, is really, like I said, applicable to the day in which we live today, I think more than ever before. And the title of the, of the message this evening is, What Do You See? With the emphasis, of course, on, on you. You know, what, what is that you, that you see in particular? Do you see God's perspective or do you see man's perspective? Do you see a, uh, things in, with, a, with a heavenly perspective or with a worldly perspective? You see, Israel had been prepared by, by God. They received the law through Moses. They received God's presence. They were uh, covered in... Uh, they were guided by, uh, they received his direct instructions day in and day out. They had received um, basically tribal leadership as a gift to them uh, to make sure that they not only were delivered from under Egyptian bondage, but through the wilderness and that they would successfully make it to the promised land. They had also been provided with water miraculously from a rock. They had been provided with food, miraculously, bread from heaven. They were given a leader who trusted God and served them by meeting with God regularly and basically passing along exactly what God had communicated to Moses to them. But as, as we've seen, the people still managed to complain. Moses complained even. Miriam and Aaron, they spoke against Moses. And although God heard it all, and he did deal with it, we saw how it is that he dealt with it. Here's what we continue to see. A God of justice, yes, but also a God of grace and mercy and compassion and long-suffering. We see all of that because God never, never left them. He never forsook them. He stayed with them, not turning his back on them. And this evening, we'll look at the time after the Israelites reached the wilderness. And some of these things have already taken place. These things that I'm mentioning, you know, all all these blessings, but at the same time, um, this discipline that's been handed down, these lessons that have been hopefully learned. They've come to the wilderness of Paran, and from there, they're going to be sent out to spy out, to spy the promised land that... God had set aside for the Israelites. We have 12 men who were sent into the land. 10 came back with one unified report. And only two with a different one. Two guys off to the side. You know, they they brought a different... They were unified too. But the 10 were unified in a different way. And we're going to learn about that in a few moments here. Now, here's a question for us as we go into our text. Could this have been a test that God allowed to reveal their faith and trust in God? And I truly believe that it was. That this was a test to reveal their faith, their trust in the Lord. And the question for us today as as we go into, again, this study is, what if God were to allow us to spy out what, quote-unquote, could be? In our lives. And although it looks amazing, you know, if God were to show you, this is what the abundant life would look like 
in your life, personally? I mean, what would your response be? Oh, Lord, that's amazing, right? It should be. That, that is absolutely amazing. At the same time, we would have mixed feelings because he would also communicate to us what it would take to know that abundant life in Christ. We would have these mixed emotions, these mixed feelings about it, because in many ways it's great, but in others it looks like it'd be too much to handle. Or it would require more fighting, more effort than we're willing to participate in or give. In a way, that's exactly what's happening here. You see, God is allowing 12 men, one representative from each tribe to go into the promised land and see it for themselves. Only to come back and give a report of what they saw and experienced. They're the ones that came back and informed everyone else of the land that God had promised them. They were privy to that glimpse. That'd be pretty awesome, right? Listen, we know that's the land that God had promised to us. Go in that direction. Go check it out and come back and give us a report. I want to know what it's all about. So obviously, they knew the way to the promised land. Now, how long were they wandering in the wilderness? 40 years. 40 years. And I believe it, it would have only taken them, what was it, like, let's, let's just say 11 days. 11 days if they were to take the straight path directly to the promised land. That's it, 11 days. But instead, they did one of these. Loop. Oh, let's do it again. Oh, let's, let's do it again. I, I just have this picture of what many times as Christians we do. Just loop. Oh, we're so close. Oh, that was the border. We're coming back around and around and around. And we fail to enter into that, that abundant life, that having that peace, having that confidence, having like just this, this faith that is, can't be shaken at all. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, it cannot be shaken. You fight, you persevere, you keep going. Even when the chips are down, so to speak, in the world's eyes, you just keep going and you pursue whatever it is that God has for you with a passion and you're deliberate about it. You're like the bulldog of Christianity. Who who do I say that is? (laughs) It's the Apostle Paul. I I love looking at his life because he's just one that uh, when he was knocked down literally and left for dead, he would pop back up and go right back into the city. I mean, who could stop a guy like that, right? He'd go into the synagogue and, and, and he would explain the gospel Day in and day out. We're not talking about just like every Sunday or every Saturday or every Wednesday. It's like every day he would be there. And once they completely rejected him, like, okay, you don't want me here? I'll go somewhere else. They need to go on somewhere else. Who could stop someone like that? And really, that kind of a faith, that kind of a trust in the Lord is available for each and every one of us each and every one of us, to where no matter what is done to us, no matter what kind of circumstances we find ourselves in, we have that kind of confidence and reverence for the Lord. We have a love for the fellowship of the brethren. We can't wait to get into his word, to meet with them, to drop to our knees and petition him and to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And you just keep going. So the question is, these men were privy to go in and take a glimpse, get a glimpse of the promised land. The question is, what did they do? What did they do? What did they come back with? So we'll learn about that, like I said, in a few moments. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our text. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask, Father, that you would continue to just speak to us through your word in that uh, this evening, Father, as these men are sent into the promised land, Lord, that we would glean from your word this evening. Lord, I I pray that that we would um, 
be strengthened, Lord, that we would be stirred up. And Lord, we would understand exactly what you want to reveal to us in our own lives. Things that perhaps we need to confess to you and and give over to you and at the same time receive from you that word of encouragement to persevere and stand strong in you. And so, Lord, we uh, commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start out. Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And so the Lord commanded Moses to do this in this manner, commanded the chiefs of each and every one of the tribes to be sent into the promised land. And so Moses did that. Now, this was a mission that they were sent on, one whose purpose was to gather intelligence, you could say, information on the land that they had been promised by God. Get all the details. You know, what's, what's occupying the land, the people? What's the lay of the land geographically? What's the terrain like? Is it rich or is it not? You know, what, tell, tell us you've got to bring back word. And this was all information that would help them enter and occupy the, occupy the land of Canaan. But there's more to this event than what we have here in this chapter. And so I'd like for us to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. So hold your place there and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 20. So Moses is speaking here, and he says, And I, I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now, we won't continue. There's, there's more. We'll go into that as we study the book of Deuteronomy. But I, I wanted to give you a few more details as far as this event is concerned. You see, from Deuteronomy, we have these additional details that people had actually brought this idea to Moses' attention to send some men in to spy the land and bring back some intelligence, like I said, some information. Give us a, a report of what you find. And... That sounded good to Moses. He received their input, took it into account, and in fact, he discerned that it was worthy to bring it to the attention of the Lord because it was from the Lord that he received specific instructions as to how about going, going about sending men into the promised land. So what we learn from this in Deuteronomy chapter 1 is that the idea did not originate with Moses. It was brought to him by the people. But God in his perfect knowledge, in his perfect wisdom, told Moses to choose the heads of each tribe to send them into the promised land. Now, for me, I, as, I, as I went through this and studied it and saw how it all, you know, happened and worked out, I thought, this is absolutely Brilliant. Brilliant. Why? Because each tribe would be represented and each tribe would have a voice in expressing what they saw in the land. 
This would reveal their collective perspective before Moses. But more importantly, they would collectively give their perspective before God. And it would be revealed. And I believe that that's important. You know, there are some things that the Lord allows to happen in our lives. And he says, go ahead, do it in this way. And always, we need to understand, it's not to reveal or show or express anything to him. It's really for us to come to the awareness of where our hearts really, truly are. And so he gave the command, and he gave the details. Let's see what happens. Verse 4, And these were their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat the son of Horai, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, or Igal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, the son of Rephu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Zodai, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Susai, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, the son of Vafsi, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Machai. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So let's start out with names. I'm going to pick out two names, and um, you guys probably already know why I'll pick, up, pick out Caleb and Joshua. Um, but Caleb, this name... And because in those times, it wasn't just because your parents liked the sound of that name that they picked the name for their kids. It's like there was a meaning behind many of the names. Um, You know, for Caleb, um, that came together in the Hebrew. And by the way, it was pronounced Kalev is the, the pronunciation for Caleb. And that meant wholehearted, wholehearted. Now, Hosea, the son of Nun, That was listed here also, which Moses called Joshua. He renamed him. Now it's like, oh, so what's your name? Or who are you? He said, I am Hosea. Now, what does Hosea mean? It means salvation. Salvation. So it was like Moses asked him, you know, hey, what's your name? I am salvation. And, And he renamed him appropriately, because he named him Yah Hosea. Yahweh is salvation. That's what he named him. And so you take the, the word, and, and Moses, you know, renamed him. And as we look forward, it's interesting. There was only one person that could take us into that abundant life, uh, John 10.10. 10. Uh, Jesus spoke, and he says, I've come that you ha- may have life and that more abundantly, right? And that's for today. That's not for, for heaven. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about glory. He's talking about today. And there's only one that could take us into that place, and that is Yahweh is salvation, Jesus Christ. So we have these two men. Their names are listed among the other 12 or the other 10 that are listed there. And I remind you that the abundant life, again, in Christ is for today, just as the promised land was not heaven, but rather representative of the abundant life for the Israelites for the day in which they lived. That is, lives that were centered in God and His Word. And, and that's, that's everything that the Lord was really desiring for them. He was laying everything out in such a way that it gave them direction. It gave them a way that they would live this abundant life by abiding in the Lord even in that day. It required act of faith then 
just as it does today. It required courage that day, just as it does today. It required consistency and persistency then as it does today. And it required fight then as it does today. You see, the enemy is relentless. And he desires to occupy the place that's been promised to us. And we need to be prepared to do battle, so to speak. And not sit back, not capitulate, not to even give in. Not, not an inch not anything at all. So these men were listed. These men were considered the chiefs of each tribe. And they were the ones to go into the promised land and spy it out. Now let's continue. Verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So gives us a the time of year in which they were sent into the promised land. So let me just say this, that on the surface, it all looked good. It really does look good. I mean, who would argue with what Moses was giving them direction in? Would a leader not want to know the lay of the land? We're going to go occupy this land. I mean, go, go check it out. Bring back word. He said, see what the land is. Go look, look at it with your two eyes. You experienced, experience what, what is there. Are the people, he said, strong? Or are they weak? Are there few? Or are there many? Is the land good? Or is it bad? Do they live in tents? Or are there strongholds that... That is fortified cities. How, how are they living? What are we coming up against? Is the soil good for farming or is it barren and spoiled? Are there any shady trees? How, how many of them? You know, is, is there an abundance of them? And by the way, he said, bring back some fruit so that we can see what this land produces. I want to check it out. I want to look at it. I want to taste it. We know by this last verse, verse 20, that the, that the time in which they were sent into the promised land was late May or going into June. We know it was about that time, being the grapes were ripe for picking, meant that there were also keepers of vineyards tending to the fruit and picking it. So we see how it is. That he says, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Well, he was sending them at a time to where the vineyards were ready to be picked. And so you know there were people out there working, taking care of the vineyards. And, and so, yes, they would need courage to go in and take one cluster and bring it back. It would be a dangerous time. Again, this all sounds like a good game plan, good strategy, the logical thing to do. But although they had not seen the land in, what, 400 years... Were they not already told what the land was like? I mean, how did God describe the land that he was sending them into? Well, we can go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. That was a, the time when the Lord met with, met with Moses, the burning bush. Exodus 3, 8 says, And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land and a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. He told them exactly what the land possessed, if it was good or bad. It was all there. 
Moses tells of the promised land, he passes word along. He reminds the Israelites in Exodus chapter 13, verse 5. He says, and when the Lord, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, there it is again. By the way, there are people there which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And he continues on. So Exodus 3.8, God tells Moses about the promised land, how rich it was and it was occupied. And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 5, Moses communicates that to the Israelites, telling them that this promised land, um, well, it was promised to your fathers and God is going to be faithful to bring you into that promised land. And it was a land of milk and honey. It was rich. It was good. So it wasn't that Moses didn't know already what the land was like or even who occupied it. He knew full well. I mean, the question is, what does it matter what the men would come back with, what kind of a report they would give. What would it matter? I mean, it, we know from the Word of God exactly what the world has. That'd be like saying, well, I, you know, I, I want to know for myself, so I'm going to send some guys out. Go check it out. Experience it for yourself. Check out how everything is and come back and give me a word. They came back. Yep, exactly like that. We need to trust God at His Word. But there's more to it. Because it seems as if perhaps Moses isn't being that confident leader that he should be. You think about it. But then again, this is something that was to be revealed for his benefit. And that's why I'm saying some of these things we need to pay attention to. These things happen. These things God allows for you to go through. And it, again, is to reveal your heart. It is for your sanctification. And because God already knew his heart. He knew the heart of the men that were being sent out. Things to think about when God tells us quite clearly that to act on something. And we instead... And, and I, I want to say it this way because, of course, we are to pray without ceasing, right? But there are times, brothers and sisters, to where God clearly tells us, this is how it is. This is what we face. This is what we have before us. This is how you're, you are to um, conduct yourself. These are the things to avoid, the things to participate in, all of these things. And, and then it's like, okay, well, I need to pray about it. Honestly, I mean, what do you need to pray about? You need to trust in the Word of God. You need to simply ask Him for, for just that, that faith and that trust that that which has been spoken is the very thing that we need strength to, to live out in our lives. That, that's, that's it. There's nothing more, nothing less. By our obedience, we demonstrate to the Lord that we love Him. In a way, we, we say we need to pray about something, surveying whether we are willing to engage in everything that it entails or not. Really, that's not the reason to count the cost. Because it'd be like saying, count the cost to see whether you're going to be obedient or not. Really, you should just count the cost and know, this is what it's going to cost. And I am willing to be that living sacrifice, to live a life that glorifies the Lord. Why? Because it's my reasonable service. I belong to him, no matter what it costs. That's what the apostles did. That's what the disciples of the time did. Why wouldn't we take that example and live it out in our own lives? <clears throat> Verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Seshai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. 
Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshcol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. So the Valley of Clusters is what it was named. All right, so in the course of 40 days, the men went on this reconnaissance mission. They collected all this information regarding the land, and and in the course of the time, they covered quite a bit of ground. Um, they indeed collected this big cluster of grapes. It was so big that it took two guys to carry it on a pole between the two of them. That's a big cluster of grapes. Huge. And besides that, pomegranates, figs, uh, they they brought back some some fruit. Now, the, the men went south, north, west, or west, and then east. That's, that's the direction that they went in. That's how they went. They covered a lot of ground. Geographically, they had a good idea of everything that Moses had requested of them to see and to bring back a, a good, accurate report of the land and its occupants. They had seen enough. Forty days of being out there. They traveled throughout. It's interesting that the mission took 40 days because this duration was what God normally used to test. 40 days. Uh, It will be 40 years that the people will wander in the wilderness. And it's a time of testing before entering into the promised land. Moses was 40 years in the wilderness before God called him to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian rule. So that's why I asked at the beginning, you know, um, this was, was it a test or not? Well, 40 days. It's no coincidence. It was a test. But why would it be necessary to test the people? Why is it necessary to test us from time to time? It's to check out what we've comprehended, what we've uh, grasped, what we've understood. That, that's why in class, in school, you guys remember school? You guys still in school, some of you? I'm still in school. I have, a com- I have a class that's coming up uh, starting September 5th, so I'm, I'm still in school. We have these things called tests. It's like, ugh, and these quizzes. And it, it's all really to demonstrate our comprehension, how well we've understood the material that's been taught to us. That's why we have tests in life. You know, the Lord tests us so that we understand how well we've understood Him. And then continue to grow. You grow. You continue to grasp. You, you, you uh, collect information and facts and God's Word. And then you apply it to life, and that's called wisdom. Rightly applied knowledge is wisdom. But the thing is, is that the people were already God's people. And Moses was already God's ordained leader but they were still being tested. So the report is given. Verse 25, as we continue, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So what they see so the question is, did they see the land? They, they, by the way, they saw everything that God had said they were going to see. But was it man's perspective or God's perspective? How should they see it? Did God send them or did Moses send them? 
Well, we know God sent them, right? These are all important questions they, they needed to ask at the time to really just understand, to think about what was taking place. When we serve the Lord in certain areas of ministry and we're on mission wherever we are, whether it be domestic or abroad, what do we see? Whose perspective do we have? Do we have God's or do we have man's perspective? Does God send you or does man send you? Their report is as follows. Oh, the land, it flows with milk and honey. Here's the proof. That's, that's the way they started out. Let's start out. These, these are the facts, but yes, it, definitely it's, it's good land. It's rich. This is proof. Here you go. See it for yourself. Here's the uh, grapes. Here's the pomegranates. Here's the figs. They're absolutely beautiful, aren't they? However, that was all good, right? That was all positive, but the rest is all negative. Verse 28 is, however, uh, despite all of that, nonetheless, you know, Whenever you see a word like that, it's like, let's turn our attention because what follows this word is really what held our attention. We can say, you can say all of this before, however, the people, man, they are strong. The cities, yeah, they're fortified and they're... They're not large. They're very large. Besides, there are giants in the land. I mean, we're talking giants. I mean, we, we uh, saw ourselves as grasshoppers in their presence, and I'm sure they saw us like grasshoppers in their presence. It, it was like that's, that's what it was like. And then they listed all the people that they had already been told were there. But the difference is now they knew exactly where they were in the region. This basically, the bottom line, should have been proof to them that what God told them was exactly as it was. Nothing different. They basically said this. God was perfect in his knowledge of the land. It's rich Beautiful, occupied. However, there's nowhere to go because it's fully occupied. And opposition, oh, it would be too much for us. They're just too powerful. So were they tested? Yes. Did they pass? No, they, they, didn't, they didn't pass. They, they failed. When we go about life, fully knowing the word of God, his promises and his warnings, and then seeing these for ourselves, how do we respond How do we respond? Do we continue going down the path of justifying why we don't abide in Christ, living the abundant life according to the word of God? You know, sometimes when we go along and and we have these tests and they're in our hearts are revealed to us. and, And we get a big fat F or a D, let's say it's like there. It's not for us to like, oh man, I failed and then you, that's it. You stop. No, no, no. That's where you get back up. Your heart's revealed to you. You, you, you confess that to the Lord and you're like, Lord, I failed miserably. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to learn from this. And I want to keep moving forward. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. He loves us and he wants us. We're still his children and he wants us to grow up. And to keep advancing, keep moving forward. Do we say, oh, I know all those things are promised. This is the abundant life. But it's already occupied with all kinds of other things. Well, God warned us about this. It's called idolatry. There are giants dwelling in the life that I'm living. You just don't know. The circumstances that surround me are just overwhelming. 
God warned us about the mountains in life, but he also told us that if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, that we can command the mountain to be cast into the sea, and it will be, and nothing will be impossible for you, according to Matthew chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. And it's no match to the word of God, which tells us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. No match whatsoever. If you trust in God and move in your life with faith in Him and His Word, then you will live a life of confidence, of humble confidence, believing Him at His Word and truly walking out an abundant life in Jesus Christ. What kind of report are you giving to God of the land in which you live? He already knows. And he already has told each and every one of us according to his word. But the question, the important question is, what do you see? What do you see? Verse 30, as we continue, will give us additional perspective here. Verse 30 says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and and so we seemed to them. Cowardice versus courage. And why do I refer to it as cowardice? Well, because it's the opposite of courage. (laughs) There's really no, like, well, kind of in between. No, there's either courage or there's cowardice. There's nothing in between. Let's first talk about the cowards or cowardly behavior, right? They were the majority. They perceived that they were weaker than the occupants of the land. They said, we're no match. That's what they said. We're no match. They embellished, greatly exaggerating what they saw. In 40 days, they saw the land that devours its inhabitants. How so? The Jebusites and the Amorites and the Hittites... I mean, how is it that they were being devoured by the land? It was, it was rough out there. I thought it was rich. I thought it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Which one is it? In what way? They exaggerated the power of the people that were there. Now they said all, not just some, all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Originally it was just, you know, the descendants of Anak. Now it's all of them. All of them. Oh, man, all of them are like 20 feet tall. Just all of them. That's what they said. All the people that we saw in it are of great height. You see, a man without faith truly is small. Small in his own eyes and small in the eyes of the world because although they say they belong to God, they certainly don't act that way or at least act like their God is small and incapable, powerless and feeble compared to the power of the the world. I love David when he came to the Philistine. He was small in stature, but he wasn't small in faith, was he? I mean, the boy ran at the giant. I didn't see a boy like... You think you're going to flick him away and here comes a stone. Goliath is down. He knew his God. These men didn't know their God. You see, a man without faith is always the victim. A man without faith is always saying, 
how he's been dealt a bad hand and is always on the defensive because the enemy is always seeming to attack him and he's losing, losing, always losing and losing and losing. Always on the defensive. Well, let's look at the other side, the two guys, Joshua and Caleb, the courageous. They were the minority, just two out of the twelve. They perceived that they were able and stronger, and there was nothing that was there that they could not overcome. Giants? Oh, I'm a giant killer. There's giants, so what? Wait until you see my God come out on my behalf. Oh, wait, just wait. He, this, he said this was a land that we were to occupy we're going to cast you out. That's it. End of story. I mean, what is it that Caleb said? Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Let's go up right now. Right now. Let's go into the land. He said, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Time out here. What we saw is factual. All of them are giants. Fortified cities, a lot of them. They're all over the place. We're no match for them. We're like grasshoppers to them. Now, Joshua and Caleb, they believe God's eternal word over the outward appearance of the temporal. They didn't embellish on the temporal and don't embellish, and didn't em- em- but, but also took God's word for what it was. The eternal word. But rather than just stating the facts the way they saw them with their eyes. They knew God's word. They knew his promises and trusted in it wholeheartedly. Caleb, wholehearted. They trusted the Lord, Lord wholeheartedly. They knew Yahoshea, that the Lord is salvation. They knew this. And the question again is, what do you see in life? Have you been a victim of life circumstances or are you a victor in Christ, living the abundant life in Him, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what they are? Because one trusts in God and glorifies Him and the other doubts and, and he shames Him. Before the world, he says, yeah, you know, I trust in God. But in many ways, it's, he doesn't demonstrate that he has a God who reigns, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, who's everywhere all at once, who has saved him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If God says one thing and the world says another, who do you believe? You see, 12 men saw the same things with their physical eyes. They saw the same thing. But only two men walked away singing and whistling with joy. They're like, this is the land that God has given to us? This is awesome. See the size of those grapes? Those figs? Oh, man, the pomegranates. I mean, we busted them up. Oh, my gosh. I mean, just the... They're huge, right? Just beautiful. Oh, this land, look at it. It's lush. Oh, talk about some shade trees. Talk about a land that we could farm and it could produce abundantly for all of us. It's all here. Two of them had that report. Let's take it. Let's take it now. But you see, faith is not built by circumstances of what you see with your eyes. Like, you know, I won't believe it until I see it. That's the world, by the way, right? The world says, I, I, I won't believe it until I see it. Well, that's not truly seen because your eyes can totally deceive you. But really, it's, what's your faith? Is it, is it in the things that are seen 
Or is it truly in God and His Word? Because that's truly faith. Oh, you believe because you've seen. Greater is the one who has not seen and yet believes. Jesus said that to who? You guys know Thomas? He doubted, right? Well, he showed himself to Thomas, doubting Thomas. But oh, more blessed. Oh, that one that, that believes and yet has not seen. This is why it's important to keep, keep studying the Word. Keep seeing God's, uh, what God has uh, in His Word. And how it is that what He warns us of in the world and His promises, we'll see evidence of it. We'll see it all over the place. But we need to trust Him at His Word and live by faith. We need to grow in that. That's, again, that work of sanctification in our lives as he's forming and shaping us, as we reflect his glory in this world, and we bless him. Romans eight thirty one and 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He has given us all things. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And of course, the question is, as we've gone through this chapter, and I'll end with this, do you believe that? Do you believe it? As you go through his word, do you, do you dig into his word? That's why it's important. Read his word daily, day in and day out. Go through it. It's all true. Every single word. And I pray that your belief does continue to grow. Your faith continues to grow. It's, it's strengthened. And you apply what you do know to life. Because God's good for his word. He's perfect in his knowledge. He's perfect in his wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, James 1 tells us to ask without doubting. And he will give to us without holding back. He will give to us his wisdom. Father, we, Lord, want to see... With a, with a heavenly perspective. We want to see things as you see them, not as the world sees them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, um, to, Lord, not doubt things, but to live with full confidence of your love for us, your promises, Lord, your word, Father, that we would truly live an abundant life in you. with hope, perfect hope. Lord, with perfect confidence in you, with great understanding of what happens in our lives and, and, and why even things happen. Lord, we, we have the answers. We know why it is that certain things happen and don't happen, the consequences of this or that. Lord, we know all of these things. We need to walk them out by faith. May we live lives that truly rejoice when we catch a glimpse and you show us that abundant life. Father, I pray that we would never be fearful of entering into that place. Will we come across opposition? Yes, we will. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We fight from victory, not for victory. And so, Lord, we, um, we thank you, Lord, for your word of encouragement. Lord, maybe perhaps of exhortation and maybe even rebuke. Lord, forgive us for ever doubting you, for ever lacking faith. I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength and you would fortify, Lord, our faith in you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.